Praise the Lord. Well, um, many have asked me what's going on with your leg. I'll just explain to the best of my knowledge. Um, I don't really know what's going on with my leg. I can tell you it hurts a lot. It's my knee. And starting last Sunday, it began, actually last uh, week ago, Saturday, it started to hurt a little bit. And then Sunday, standing all day, uh, I think it kind of went downhill a little bit. Monday, it just started getting worse. Tuesday, it got even worse. And then by Wednesday, it started to be quite painful. And so I've had this before. I had it in my other leg about five, six years ago. And um, I went in to see the doctor. They couldn't figure out anything wrong um, and gave me some heavy-duty ibuprofen. And it eventually just got better. <laughs> and so yesterday, went into the doctor again. Um, I would like to try to figure it out because if this keeps happening in my life, I'd like to know what's the key to to cause to, to fix it. So uh, yesterday they they took X-rays. They the most difficult thing is they took a needle and put it in under my kneecap and took out fluid. They they wanted to see if it was infected, and uh, that was an awful thing. I just did not like that part at all. Um, but they, it's not infected. They, they told me if it was infection, they were going to put me in the hospital right then. I'm like, okay, thank you, God. It's not that. Um, but the x-ray showed just a little bit of arthritis, but nothing that would explain all the swelling and all that stuff. So we basically don't really know what's going on, but the brace helps. It keeps my legs straight. As soon as I start bending it, it's excruciating pain. Um, so I just keep my legs straight and I, uh, so I'll be fine. So that's to let you know what's going on there, because everybody's curious about it. Um, today, uh, I see we have people celebrating St. Patrick's Day. We have everybody needs to notice Joel's shirt. It's really an exquisite uh, display of St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's got the, the tie. <laughs> he's got the vest and the little uh, clover uh, thing. Way to go, Joel. And uh, uh, Betty's got her green shirt that matches Tim's green shirt. Very, very nice. Yeah, um, yeah, he, yeah, Tim. <laughs> yeah, somewhere in there, there's some green, huh? So St. Patrick's Day is is actually the 17th of March, which is coming Friday. I was talking with Bill before the service yesterday. He spent 12 hours at the Rockies uh, uh, game working. But he was telling me that there was a parade there, right? There was a parade. And he said that what he saw there, uh, <coughs> in summary, was drunk people here, drunk people there, drunk people everywhere. Drunk, drunk, drunk. And so what people do with St. Patrick's Day, it's like an excuse to get drunk. And it's a real shame because you know who St. Patrick was? He was one of the greatest missionaries this world has ever known. He was a great missionary. He, he was captured as a slave, taken to uh, Ireland, was captured by Irish pirates from uh, Wales or Scotland, they don't really know, uh, as a boy. And he had to work uh, for some king or something over there in Ireland, taking care of sheep and stuff. And something happened to him where he began to call on God while he's a boy. And the Lord guided him how to escape out of slavery, got on board a ship, and escaped to the coast of France. There in France, he joined up in a monastery, and he became a monk, uh, 
a man of God, a man who sought God. And he was free from his slavery. But you know what God called him to do? Was to go back to Ireland where he had been a slave. And he brought the gospel there. It was a totally pagan country, completely pagan, full of magic and full of, of uh, sorcery and full of all kinds of wicked and terrible things. And he brought the gospel and he changed that country. He would go right up to the kings. There were many kings in Ireland. He would go up to the kings and he would preach the gospel. The kings would become Christian and then the whole community of that king would become Christian too. And it's, it's just amazing, uh, his, his story. And this happened way back in, uh, I think like 10th century or even before that. It had nothing to do with green beer. And that's what St. Patrick's Day has become these days. Nothing, but it's all about green beer and wearing green. And uh, I, I just, it's one of my favorite days of the year because of remembering him and what he brought to the world. It's an amazing, amazing story. Um, so I just feel like every St. Patrick's Day, I need to give that tribute because it's been lost. And so now you know, and so you can correct anybody who think the day is all about green beer. You can give them a different perspective. <laughs> okay, yes. Yeah, the green is the Catholic sign. And up in, over in Scotland, where my dad is from, everybody would wear orange on St. Patrick's Day, wouldn't they? <laughs> so yeah, there's this divide between Catholic and Protestant. But St. Patrick actually was, uh, was, was doing his work before there even was a Protestant church. It was long before the Reformation. Um, it was, there was only the, the church, the Catholic church. And so um, I just felt like that was important for you to know. So thanks for bearing with me on that. And also thanks for, uh, I, I'm excited about pulling our congregations together. You know, there is power released when we come together. Uh, you, know, you know the difference between nuclear fission and nuclear fusion? Nuclear fission is where you where they split an atom and it creates the atomic bomb. Uh, and that's what they dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And the devastation was enormous by the splitting of the atom. But then later there comes another process. It's called fusion, which is where they force two atoms to come together. And that releases a tremendous amount of energy. That's fusion. It's a hundred times more powerful than fission. So a hundred times more powerful than what we know of as the atomic bomb is the, I think they call it the hydrogen bomb. Yeah, the hydrogen bomb. A hundred times more powerful by coming together. So folks, we're about to have some nuclear fusion. When we put our two congregations together, I don't even know what God can do, but I, I know it's going to, it can be great. It can be great. There will be challenges. There will be things to overcome, but you know what? It's going to be good. We're better together. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad for the opportunity. And I'm so glad for Betty and Judy, who kind of led this charge. They told me a few weeks ago, it's got to happen. And I, I've been, you know, really delicate and wanting to be careful. And they're like, enough of that. Let's go. And I'm like, okay, let's do it. So I'll drink to that. All right. So I say, praise God. Well, here we are looking at the story of Joseph. I'd like to invite you to open your Bible to Genesis chapter 43, Genesis 43. And this really is the climax of this whole amazing story. I love the story of Joseph. I just love it. It's so full of 
uh, emotion. It's so full of drama. It, it's so full of the heart of God. And I think that's really what draws me to it more than anything is the heart of God. So as we look at this chapter, we're going to learn something about emotional healing and family healing. There is a, a healing for families. There is a healing for emotions. But it comes in a way that we wouldn't expect in a worldly perspective. It comes through forgiveness and reconciliation. There is healing in that. We sang the song, there is power in the name of Jesus. Well, you know where the power of Jesus comes from? It comes from God's forgiveness of us. Humankind who violated his way and his, his law and everything about him. We've become unholy. <laughs> but God loves us so much, he said, I'm going to love you through that and reconcile you to myself. There's power in that name of Jesus and it's because of forgiveness. So here we are. We're going to get to read along through this story today, 43 of Genesis. The famine was really bad in the land, so they'd eaten all the grain from their first journey, and they brought it that they'd brought from Egypt, and their father said to them, go back and buy us a little more food. Now last week, I'm just going to pause here, last week Pastor Feast brought a message that I really enjoyed, I listened to it on the podcast, did a good job brother, and he through a symbolic uh, interpretation, talked about Jacob, Benjamin, and Joseph. And he equated the three of them that Jacob is like us, Joseph is like Jesus, and Benjamin, do you remember what he was? Those of you who listened last week, I know you remember. <laughs> Benjamin is our heart. You remember that? Now that I said it, you remember. Benjamin is a heart. And, and Jacob had to... Jesus is calling, Joseph was calling for Benjamin to come. Jesus is calling for you and me, the Jacobs of us, to give our heart, give it up. And life and salvation came when Jacob released Benjamin to go to Joseph. And so th that is a wonderful analogy for us. The release of our heart to Jesus is where the healing comes and where it's the rest and where the restoration comes from. Well, here we are. Jacob finally says, Hey boys, go back to Egypt. Now, there's some dramatic struggle before that because in the previous chapter, they said, we can't go back unless we take Benjamin. The man said, you've got to have Benjamin. And Jacob said in the previous chapter, he said, no way, it's not happening. I'm not going to let you do it. You cannot. I lost Simeon now, one of the older brothers, and you want to take Benjamin too? Uh-uh. No, not happening. I've lost Jacob and now I've lost Simeon. And now you're going to take Benjamin from me. From me. I'm not going to let it happen. And so, till they run out of food. <laughs> and then, struggle, pain is necessary in our lives in order to grow, in order to make the tough decisions, in order to make the move. And this is what was necessary. Jacob had to let Benjamin go because God had a plan and he was going to use this for it. So, finally, they run out of food and he says, go, boys, go back to Egypt, get some more food. And Judah steps up. Now remember, I've talked to you about these brothers. In the last chapter, Reuben said, we have to, we have to take Benjamin back. And, and if we, if we, um, if we don't go, if, if you let me take Benjamin back and he doesn't return, you can kill my two sons. Reuben said that. You know, nobody even answered him. It's like, that's a ridiculous statement. That's like, you're, you're still killing my own children because 
as children of Jacob. That, that doesn't help anything or anybody. I think we a lot of times try to bargain with God. God, if you'll just let me pass this test, if you'll just let me have this thing, whatever it is, then I'll give you this. And God's like, that's not, that's not even our discussion. Well, Judah steps up. And Judah has now become the leader of the brothers. Reuben is, has kind of become a, he's a moral failure. And I'll go into that later in, the, in other sermons. But Reuben has lost his place of leadership. And Judah now steps up. And he says, we'll go back, Father, but we have to take Benjamin. We have to take him. Um, the man warned us solemnly, you will not see my face again unless your brother is with you. Verse 4. If you will send our brother along with us, we will go down and buy food for you. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. Boom. Judah made a stand. It had to happen this way. Sometimes, folks, you got to make a stand. you got to make a stand and said, it's time to do the right thing. I hope that speaks to somebody here today. It's time to do the right thing. Make the stand. Judah did. And he said, you know, it wasn't really Judah's decision. It was It was because of the man who ironically is their own brother, Joseph, who said this. So now Jacob, he's, he's referred in here as Israel. Israel is stuck. He's trapped. And he starts whining. He starts complaining. He says, why did you bring this trouble on me by telling the man you had another brother? Now, of course, they didn't know not to say that. He just kept asking the questions of these men and because he already knew the answers. And they they just had to come clean with him. How would they know what he was going to ask? And, and Judah explains that. He said, the man just asked us, verse 7, and our who's about our family? Is your father still living? Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How are we to know what he would say? Bring your brother down here. Then Judah, now watch this. Then Judah, verse 8, said to his to Israel, his father, send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. It's showtime, folks. We've come to the end of the rope. we got to do this thing. you got to let me do it. And Judah makes this very strong statement. And then in verse 9, I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, I will bear the blame before you all of my life. Now, this is Judah talking. And to get the full impact of this, I want to remind you of what Judah has done in the past. It was Judah who initiated the sale of Joseph to the Ishmaelites. It was Judah who sold him for 20 pieces of silver. Judah sold his own brother. Now, Judah is standing up and says, if he does, I will take personal responsibility. If he doesn't come back, I will bear the blame. Whatever happens, I will bear the blame all of my life. All of my life. I will carry it. And then he goes on to say, as it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice already. <laughs> He's putting pressure on Jacob. Come on, Jacob. we got to make a decision. I want you to notice these two men, Jacob and Judah. Both of them are being required to make a complete sacrifice. Jacob is being required to give up his Benjamin. Judah is being required to bear the blame. In a way, Judah is having to stand up for his failure of 15 years ago. It's now stand-up time for Judah. 
And you know, God has a way of working these things out in our lives. If you reflect back on your life, you may see that there are times where you've had to go full circle and come to the other side of something you've, you've failed in. And God has brought you now to a place where you have to stand up. And God does that to us because he wants us to be strong. And God holds us accountable for our things, our sins. Now, we can't pay for our sins, but he does want us to take a good look at our life and bring it around full circle. So may God reveal to us what we need to know through that. I just want to ask him in Jesus' name, Lord, reveal to us where we need to, to line up with what he's calling us to. He does that. Amen. Then Israel, Father, said, Okay, if you have to do this, go ahead, pack up a bunch of extra gifts, take them down to the man, double the amount of silver, pay him back what he gave you back already. Then verse 13, take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And then here's verse 14, which is really powerful verse, full of emotion. And may all God Almighty grant you the mercy before the man so that he will let your brother and Benjamin come back with you. He's talking about Simeon and Benjamin come back with, with you. And then here is the point. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. There comes a point in our life where we just have to lay it all on the altar. That's where God wants us to be. That point at which we say, okay, I have nothing left. <laughs> I'm giving it all. Jesus, I'm giving you all. Going back to Pastor Feast's illustration, giving my heart, I've got to give it away. I'm giving it away. Just giving up on it and just let it go. I just have to let it go. That's where God wants you and me to be. It's not a nice place. It's not a comfortable place. Although I'll say this, it's a peaceful place. When we come to that point where we're not struggling anymore and we finally say, okay, God, here it is. I'm giving up. I'm giving up. I'm giving up. Think of those things that torment you, those things that have caused you struggle in your life, some terrible loss you've encountered, maybe a, an addiction type of thing or a temptation type of thing or, or some thing from before that just keeps bothering you. When you come to the point where you just say, okay, I'm giving it up to you, God. I'm giving it up. I'm giving you my child. I'm just giving him to you. There's peace. But when you still try to hold on, when you're still trying to cling on to it, there's the tension, tension, tension. There's, there's a struggle. But when you finally let it go and say, okay, God, I'm doing that right now while I'm preaching here. I'm doing it with my own kids. There are things that, that just aren't right in the lives of some of my kids. And I'm just, I can't fix it. I really want to. And I could I feel like if I could just, uh, you know, they were 10 years old again, I sure could fix it. But when they're adults, got to let it go. Let it go. So uh, I'm, with jo I'm with Jacob right here, letting it go got to let it go. If I'm bereaved, if it becomes a disaster, it becomes a disaster, but I'm going to let it go. Are you with me, church? This is where we are. This is where we are. You know, C.S. Lewis wrote a wonderful set of children's stories called The Tales of Narnia. Have any of you heard about these? They've even made them movies. Well, in, I think, the third one, third or fourth one, it's called The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In this story, there is one nasty little boy. His name is Eustace Clarence Scrub. He's an idiot. He's selfish. He's arrogant. And he 
he's looking down and demeaning everybody, and he's always got a nasty thing to say in a nasty way. <laughs> Until he comes to one place on their journey, they come to an island, where he breaks away from the rest of the group, and he kind of gets lost in the island, and he falls down a, a little uh, slope into, he didn't know it, a dragon's cave. In the dragon's cave, he sees all the jewelry and all the gold and all the silver and, and jewels, and he, he becomes so greedy in his heart. He's like, I'm going to get rich. I'm going to show those idiots over there. And uh, and in the process of his greed in this magical cave of the dragon, he turns into a dragon himself. He turns into a dragon, unbeknownst to himself. And he is completely shocked when he gets out of that cave and he looks into a pool of water and what does he see reflected back into him but the face of a dragon. He's become a dragon. Basically, his heart, which had been arrogant and rude and everything towards everybody else, he kind of turned into what is in his heart. He flies back, which is kind of exciting to be a dragon and he can fly now. So he flies back over to where the ship is and all the all of his friends and they're terrified that a dragon has come until through some uh, communication back and forth, he finally convinces them that he is Eustace. <laughs> he is Eustace, but he's become a dragon somehow. And they're like, wow, what are we going to do? This boy's become a dragon. How are we going to continue our journey? Until one day, Eustace flies away to another spot, and he lands in a, at a place where he meets the god character of the story. is a huge lion, and his name is Aslan. And Aslan takes Eustace to a pool, and he says to Eustace, I've got to clean you. And by that, Eustace knew that he meant get rid of this dragon, get rid of that evil that's cloaked him. And so he, he, he gets ready to step into the water, but Aslan says, no, 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 you, you have to take off that skin first. He's talking about this dragon skin. So Eustace goes, okay. So he, he starts scratching away at his scales, and he begins to tear off and he struggles and struggles and struggles and he finally gets the skin torn off and he gets ready to jump into the pool and Aslan says, no, you, you haven't gotten rid of it yet. And he looks into the pool and again he sees his face of a dragon. You know what he did? He just took off one layer and he becomes full of despair. And he goes, oh, I can't, I can't get all this off. And Aslan says to him, you have to let me do it. And Aslan says, it's going to hurt, but you have to let me do it. You can't do it yourself. And of course, the lesson we learned there is, we're the dragon in this story. You and me, we're the ones who cloaked ourselves in sin, selfishness, arrogance, and pride. And if we really had a good mirror in front of us that could reveal our soul, we'd see the dragon instead. And Jesus, Aslan, says to you and me, you can't take it off. You can struggle and try and behavior modification and good intentions, and you can try and scrape it all off, but all you get is one little layer, and then you've got a whole nother thing. So so Eustace lies down, and Aslan comes with his terrible claws, and he plunges his, his paw into this dragon skin, and he tears it off of Eustace. And and Eustace describes the pain. It was the most painful thing he had ever felt. Kind of like yesterday when they were sticking that needle into my knee. It's this horrible pain. And they tore it off. Aslan tore it off. And Eustace emerges. And then, in pain, he's able to go into this water 
and to be cleansed and to be healed. And he's Eustace again, but he's not the old Eustace. He's a new Eustace. He's been changed. He's gone through a baptism. And he's a new boy now. Well, <laughs> that's, that's what's going on here. That's what's going on in Judah. Judah is the one. Judah is the one who sold Joseph. And he's having to come and take a good look at what he's done and see the new Judah coming out. Joseph is the one who for years now has been bitter in his loss, unwilling to make another sacrifice. And God is requiring him to give up Benjamin. Joseph had been his favorite. Now Benjamin is his favorite, and he's unwilling to let him go. And God is saying, you got to let him go. you got to let him go. Folks, that is what God is asking us to do. Think about those precious things that you're unwilling to let go. And it's better if you let them go before they leave than if you have to spend 15 years of trying to let them go after they're already gone. I hope you catch what I'm saying. So Eustace got his cleansing as Aslan took it off of him. That's what we have to do. We have to come to God and say, God, I can't let this go. Would you take it off of me? And you guys know what I'm talking about. Each of us have something like, God, I need you to just take it on. So off they go down to Egypt. They took all the gifts, double the amount of silver and Benjamin, and they go down to Egypt. And they come to the same place where they meet Joseph. When Joseph saw, 16, when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare a meal. They are to eat with me at noon. So Joseph says, we got it. It happened. They did it. They did what they're supposed to. So go to my house. Take them to my house. Prepare a meal. Slaughter an animal. Now we're in the middle of a famine. And Joseph is about to do a big deal. here. Take an animal and prepare it for lunch. And the boys, though, the men, they come to the house. And what is their attitude? <laughs> these guys have been terrorized ever since they met Joseph. He keeps messing with them, messing with them, messing with them. So verse 18, now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought, we were brought here because of the silver that was put back into our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take our donkeys. <laughs> I think that's funny about taking the donkeys. And he's like, that's the end of your fear right there, the donkeys? I mean, I think the attack and seizing us our lives is worse than that. And take our donkeys. You know how, how we are? This is, this is so human. We imagine all the bad things that are going on. Now, what is the actual truth of what Joseph is doing? He is wanting to prepare a meal for them, a feast. He's like saying, thank you for bringing Benjamin. I'm so happy. We're going to have a good party. And what are they thinking? Oh my God, he's going to kill us. He's going to blame us for the silver. That's what worry does. You know how when we worry, we make things 10 times worse than it actually is. We just go over and over and over in our mind about how bad it is. And the truth and the reality of the thing may not be bad at all. We just spend our imagination on worrying about the worst possible scenario. I know I do. Maybe you guys have got victory of that in your life. But boy, we do that. We just worry, we worry, we worry. And that's what these men are doing. They're saying he's going to. So they went up to Joseph Stewart. They said, we got to get ahead of this. And we said, hey, we beg your pardon, Lord. But, you know, the silver, uh, we beg your pardon, our Lord. They said, we came down here for the first time to buy food. But at the place where we stopped for the night, we opened our sacks and each of us found his silver. 
the exact weight in the mouth of the sack. We have brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put the silver, uh, silver back in our sacks. So these men have really gone through a trial. And now they're stepping forward and they're like going out of their way to be as honest as they possibly can. We don't know how this happened. Here's the silver. We brought it and we have more silver. We just want you to know. <laughs> and uh, the steward, he's their best friend. He says, don't worry about it, guys. And he even talks about God. I think that's interesting. The steward, your God, he's an Egyptian. The God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I received from you your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. I mean, this steward, he's like the go-between between Joseph and these men. And he's like, guys, just calm down. He can tell they're freaked out. He tells them, just calm down, boys. Uh, I got your silver. Your God. And he, he's the one, this pagan Egyptian is bringing up your God. The God of your father is taking care of you. And, and that's what's going on. They're freaking out about all these horrible things. And the truth is, God is taking care of them and about to reveal uh, his goodness. So the steward took the men into Joseph's house. He got them all washed up, fed their donkeys. Uh, they prepared their gifts for Joseph, getting ready to give it to him. And when Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts. They bowed down before him to the ground. I keep thinking of that vision of Joseph, you know. And how many times have they bowed down now since uh, they first saw Joseph? Many times. And they prepared their gifts. They bowed down. He asked them how they're doing. How's your father? Is he still living? And they replied, yes, uh, he's alive and well. They bowed down again prostrating, they bow down to the ground. They, they lie down on their faces before him, completely surrendered to him. And he looks around and he saw his brother, Benjamin, verse 29, his own mother's son. He asked, is this your youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. This is a big moment right here for Joseph. Can you imagine? And deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. And he went into his private room and he, he had to get his tears out. He just walked out of the room and he had to cry because he just didn't see his brother. After he had washed his face, he came back out controlling himself. He said, serve the food so they have dinner. And it's just, I love this narrative because they give such interesting little nuances of story. And this is one reason we, we can tell this is true. This is an accurate reporting because it's giving these little details. Writings from this period of time never would include this kind of detail. But this is, this is like modern reporting um, where you have, they were set in the tables by order of their age. And the brothers are looking at each other like, how in the world? Who knows that we're in this age order? Where only Joseph would know that. They put him in order and they're, they're just bewildered. These, these poor boys have gone through such a hard time. They're just bewildered. And so there's three groupings of the eating. The Egyptians are in one place because they can't eat with, with the Jews. It's too gross for them. The boys are all lined up in, according to their age. And then Joseph eats separate from them. So there's three groupings. And the, the way that they would do it is they would take food. All the food is on J Joseph's table. They take the food from Joseph's table to the boys, and there's some servants running back and forth. And Joseph made sure that Benjamin got five times more food than everybody else. Boy, this boy has been, he's like, man, I just hit the jackpot. I came into a great spot here. <laughs> and uh, he's again getting his, his pampering, you know. 
so they, they fed him, and then they say, okay, after dinner, it's like done. But Joseph is not done. He has one more test. See, they had, they had done the right thing. They had brought Benjamin down. But Joseph wants to test their hearts one more time. So, and he's got a plan. And either way that it comes out, he's going to be the winner. And here's what it is. They put all the silver back in everybody's sack, and they have a special cup. It's called a diviner's cup that the Egyptians would use to tell the future. So they took this cup, uh, Joseph's cup, and they put it into Benjamin's sack. Hmm. And so they pack it up. They load the donkeys up. The servants apparently did all this. And the men say, goodbye, see ya. And they're like, oh, we got out of this one. And so they take off. And they start heading back to Jacob. Joseph probably says, goodbye, say hi to your father for me. And then after they just get outside of town, and Joseph says to his steward, okay, now I want you to go back and grab those boys, and I want you to be really harsh with them and tell them, hey, why have you done this evil thing to me? By stealing my cup. Whoever stole my cup is going to have to come back and be my slave. So the, the men, once the steward comes and he does, he stops them, and they all go, oh, no, what now? They're thinking, we got out of this thing. Now there's something else. And the steward said, somebody, someone of you stole Joseph's cup. Whoever has that cup has to come back and be my slave. And so they said, it didn't happen. None of us would ever do such a thing. And then they'd give a judgment. They say, whoever took that cup, you can kill him. That's what they said. That's what they said to the steward. You can kill him. Because why? They're so sure that none of them would ever do such a thing. They just know that nobody's guilty. So they, the drama, the suspense here, they start with Reuben, the oldest, and then they go down one at a time, and then they open the last one, who is Benjamin. They open it, boom, there's the cup. It's Benjamin. And all the, those guys go crazy with grief. Benjamin, anybody else would have been fine. Sure, go ahead, take them. But Benjamin, Oh no! And, and the tradition, they rip their clothes. That's like in the Jewish, uh, time. That is like the most horrendous way to show grief. They are so grief stricken. They rip their clothes. They probably cried out through dust up in the air. And they, they, they're just so upset. And <clears throat> verse 16. So they come back, okay? And they come back. And, and here's, here's what I love. I'm sorry. Back to verse 13. At this, they tore their clothes when they see the cup. Then they all loaded their donkeys and returned to the city. I want to point out that these are different men than the days of Joseph when they sold. These are different men. They're like, oh my God, we all have to go back. It wasn't just like, ah, all right, Benjamin, you go back. They're not doing that. It's not even Benjamin and Judah. It's all of them. They all load up their donkeys and go, okay, we're going back. They're sticking together. They're following through on this repentance. You know, sometimes we have to repent all the way. We can't just like shrug something off and say, sorry, God. We've got to go all the way with it. That's what these boys are doing. They're going back. They're going back to Joseph. And verse 16, Joseph confronts them. Look at what you did. You can't do that to me. And Judah steps up. What can we say to my Lord? Judah replied, what can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. Reminds me of John, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, <laughs> he is faithful and just 
and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Here is the confession part. Judah, now they had done nothing wrong. They had done nothing wrong in this case. But Judah is referring to a bigger thing. He's basically saying, we are sinful men and our guilt has been exposed through this, whatever's going on now. And then Judah says, we are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who was found to have the cup. Now, what did they said prior? You can kill the one with the cup. <laughs> now he's, now that it's happened, he says, okay, we will all be your slaves. Judah, see the irony here. Judah, the one who sold Joseph, is now the one who says, okay, I and all my brothers are going to be your slaves. But Joseph said, no, I'm a fair man. I'm a reasonable man. Only the man who was found to have the cup will come become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. He's testing Judah, and he's testing these men. Then Judah went up to him. It's like he separated himself out. He went up to Joseph, and he said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead. And he is the only one of his mother's sons left. And his father loves him. Now, do you remember how Joseph was treated? Jacob loved Joseph. And the brothers were furious with rage because of that special relationship that they had. And now Jake, Judah has completely turned around. And he said, you see, he saw the effect of his sin. Prior, and he said, Joseph, my father loves this boy. We can't do this to my father. And so Judah, the one who carelessly sold off Joseph, has turned around 100%. And he says, his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, verse 21, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, Unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. When we went back to your servant, my father, we told him what my Lord had said. Then our father said, go back and buy more food. But we said, we can't go without uh, without Benjamin. We can't see the man's face unless if our youngest brother is with us. And so our father said to us, okay, you know the situation. My wife has only had two children, Benjamin and Joseph. And uh, one is dead. And I've not seen him since. Verse 29, if you take this one from me too and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. You see, Judah is recounting how how painful this is for Jacob. He hadn't given a thought to it before. He didn't even care at the time of Joseph when they sold Joseph off. Judah has completely changed. He cares about his father. He cares about the love of his father for this boy. So now, verse 30, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servants, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. And then here's where Judah steps up. Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. And then he's begging Joseph, please let me remain here as the slave in place of the boy. 
and let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. Judah has completely put himself forward. He says, I will take the place of the boy. Does that sound like somebody we know? Jesus. Judah became a tribe, the largest of all the tribes of Israel. And out of Judah came Jesus. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is the one who took your place and mine. Judah opened the door. This is the beginning. By him offering himself to step into the place of his younger brother, Benjamin, who was supposed to become the slave, Judah said, no, let me be the slave. I will be the slave. I will stay here and I will serve you for the rest of my life. Judah, the one who sold Joseph into slavery, is now offering himself to be the slave. Boy, it's come full circle. What a story. And we've run out of time. I was going to go through the whole thing with you today, but we just got to hang for one more week to get to the end of this. But doesn't that tell you something about our wonderful Savior? This is just a, a preface. This is just a preparatory for our story. Joseph's story is our story. What God has done for you and me, <laughs> that we might be saved. This is the gospel. This is the message that we need to share with the world. This is the message we need to live out and give thanks to him forever and ever, as Pastor Feast was talking about at the beginning of the service. He is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our worship.